We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Awesome book. A lot of, lot of crazy things in this book. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, family, family feud leaves 69 brothers dead. Powerful government leader caught in a love nest. Listen to this. Gang rape leads to victims' death and dismemberment. Girls at a party kidnapped and forced to marry strangers. He said these are sensational headlines, like these are, you know, found on the front page of supermarket tabloids. But the above headlines actually describe some of the events narrated in the book of Judges. What a contrast they are, we're going to see, to the closing chapters of the book of Joshua, where you see a nation resting from war and enjoying the riches God had given them in the promised land. You know, the book of Judges is a, is, is a trip. You know, Joshua is all about what God wants for us in life. You know, he brings us out of the world and he wants us not to wander in the wilderness, but to experience a victorious Christian life. And that's what it's all about. You kind of see that to a certain extent. But then when you get to the book of Judges, what you find basically is this, a couple of things. Number one, there's this cycle, man. There's this cycle of sin and then sentence and then crying out for salvation. You know, have you guys ever done that where you fail the Lord and then you fall on your face? Next thing you know, you're way out there and you know, you look up and you, you know, you're looking into the gutter because that's where you're at. And then you look up to the Lord and you say, Lord, help me. And what does he do, man? He lifts you up. Huh? He's so cool. And he picks you up and he puts you on the rock and he says, okay, my son, go forward in your life, you know? And, but the crazy thing is that in the book of Judges, they keep doing it. They keep doing it over and over and over and over again. I think sometimes that's how our life is, huh? We're like, we do that. Yeah, Manny, that's me. Every day I seem to be doing that. You know, and God forgives me, and God doesn't leave me, and God's there for me, and God saves me, and God delivers me. But you know what? How do I get out of this rut? You know, how can I, not being a perfect man, but, you know, I want to be like Job. I want to be like Joseph, you know? I want to be like Jesus. I mean, is that possible for me? You know, and I think that if you find yourself in that cycle of sin and sentence and then salvation and sin and sentence and salvation, if you find yourself, it's going to digress lower and lower each time. The book of Judges is a good book because God gives us this, not just for information, but he gives us this truth for transformation so that we can look at them and learn what God wants to teach us. He didn't just write it down. He wants to warn us through their life so that we would not have to do the same thing. And so today we're going to cover chapter 1. A couple of things real quick before we get into the chapter. The book of Judges covers a period of history between the book of Joshua and 1 Samuel. So we're now in the historical books. It's chronological. And in 1 Samuel, we see the final judge there anoints the first king of Israel, a man by the name of Saul. Uh, between that Joshua and then, we're going to read about 13 different judges. They're leaders that God raises up to deliver the people. And so we're not sure exactly, but the book of Judges, it covers somewhere between 300 to 400 years. Uh, more than likely, we don't know again for sure. It was written by this guy Samuel. Um, it seems to work out really good that way. 
Well, we're not really sure who wrote it. We know, of course, ultimately it was written by God in order to teach us uh, some very important lessons. You know, God doesn't want us to live in that cycle, man. He really doesn't. You know, God wants to lift us up and give us so much more in life. The book of Judges, we see, was written not necessarily in a chronological order when you look at the chapters here, but it was written, we're going to see, strategically uh, to convey a message, and that is a warning to stay away from that type of life, that type of decay, that type of downward spiral. And what we see right here is it's pretty simple, you guys. The way that it works is this, man. Without God, our life will digress. It's a given. It will happen every time. And God has done so much for us. And God had done so much for this nation. But what ended up happening in all reality was they forgot about him. Now, we don't know for sure what happened. You know, we weren't there. We do know that there arose a generation that did not know the Lord. So either A, the parents were not good in handing on the faith to the next generation, or B, the next generation just did not want to learn. But we do know this, that after all that God had done for Israel, they find themselves, think about that, Lord, I said earlier, okay? Gang rape and dismembering a woman. Imagine that. That happened in Israel, man. And then they justified it. They said, it's no big deal. The tribe of Benjamin. And so the rest of the nation came against them. It was a big war. They almost wiped them out. I mean, just a lot of crazy, crazy, dark, uh, dry, you know, evil days in the history of Israel. And so God writes it down because he does not want us to go that route. In the book of Judges, we see the cycle of sin repeated. And what we see is the children of Israel will be doing well. God blesses them. But then in those times of prosperity, they turn their backs on God. They go from well to hell. And sometimes when things are going really good in your life, you know, the Lord is there. Maybe you got money in the bank. You got, you know, things rolling in. Everything's happening. You feel real hunky-dory, man. Sometimes those are the most dangerous times. You know, sometimes, man, and I know a lot of you here, you're going through trials and my heart goes out to you because I know there's a lot going on in your life. But you want to know something, man? It keeps you at the foot of the cross. It keeps you on your knees. You know, thank God for those trials, you know, because it reminds us that we need the Lord so much. You know, when you're there and things are going really good and prosperous, sometimes, man, that can be a place in which you find yourself, in all reality, backsliding from God. And so... Everything comes together in the book of Judges and God says, listen, don't forget me. Don't fall into sin. Because then what ends up happening, man, God sentences them in different degrees. They come to that place of slavery. They then cry out to God who then, of course, saves them, raising up judges. And they do this over and over. And so one thing to understand, and I know that you've got to have a balance here, is that the lesson number one is the foolishness of our depravity. You know, the foolishness of our depravity. You guys don't go there. Learn from them. Learn from their mistakes. Okay? Don't go make your own. Don't try learning the hard way. Learn from their mistakes. But here's the cool thing. It's also a book and lesson about the unending love of God, man. Because I don't know about you, but if it was me, if I was God, I'll tell you what, three strikes and you're out, right? Isn't that the way most of us are? You know what, this guy right here, he's already done it once. This guy, he did it twice. You do me, you do me wrong the third time, I'll tell you what, you're gone. You know, you're no longer a friend of mine, whatever it might be. 
But see, God is not like that. I mean, even though they did this over and over and over again, the Lord was still there. It was a lesson in his love. It's a lesson in his long-suffering towards those people who really belong to the Lord, man. And that's such a cool thing. You guys remember what happened when Peter was talking to Jesus and Peter said, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? Up to, what do you say, seven times? And, you know, he thought that was a huge number. And the Lord said, I tell you what, seven times 70. Peter, just keep forgiving. Keep forgiving because you know what? That's how I am with you. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, And be tenderhearted toward one another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so here we are today. If you're a Christian here today, you're forgiven. You're free. You're clean. You have this amazing relationship with God. Now let's go out and let's be what we are. Let's be children of God. Let's be sheep who follow our shepherd. Let's be like the Lord our God. We're going to learn things like that in the book of Judges. In chapter 1, we have a record of some of the victories of the different tribes and the defeats of the other tribes. And, you know, we're going to go through this. Some of this we've already studied in the book of Joshua. And then we'll come back and we'll learn hopefully six lessons on how to make the same mistake, man, how not to make it. Because look what it says in verse 1. It says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. And so Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me to my allotted territory, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I will likewise go with you to your allocated territory. And Simeon went with him. Now, I don't know if you guys can visualize this in your head. We should have probably had a map up here. But it's good to kind of get to know the the area of Israel uh, when you look at the different, you know, seasons of their history. But here, if you remember, they have all the tribes. And then on the east side, they have the tribe of Gad and Reuben, half tribe of Manasseh. On the west side, they have all the other nine and a half tribes, so to speak, right? And here, amongst these nine and a half tribes, we're going to look at them in chapter 1, Judah is going to go first, okay? But Judah is the only one that's going to do well. You know, that from the tribe of Judah is where Jesus came. It's probably symbolic of something there. But if you were to look at the tribe of Judah, the section of where Judah is, you would see that in the middle of Judah is Simeon. And so they're they're like, okay, Lord, who goes first? Who starts this whole thing again, you know? And the Lord says, Judah goes. And Judah says, okay, I'm going, man. God says he's going to give me the victory. Cool, right? And then he says, hey, Simeon, will you help me out? That's what he says right there. So Simeon says in verse 3, Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me. I'll tell you what, you help me, and then I'll help you, and things are going to be cool, right? And so they go out. In verse 4, it says, then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they killed, check it out, 10,000 men. At Bezek, man, 10,000 men. That's a lot. It says right there, and they found Adonai Bezek. You know, Adonai means Lord, right? So this is the Lord of this area. Um, And it says in Bezek, and they fought against him. They defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Then Adonai Bezek fled and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his toes. And so he couldn't do this anymore. 
It'd be like this, man. <laughs> no thumbs, no toes. Why? Because that's what he would do to all the other kings. They say that you can't do a whole lot with weapons without a thumb. Can't run real well without big toes, right? So it's kind of a funny thing. Anyways, what ends up happening, it says in verse 7, And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off, used to gather scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And there's probably a lesson in that, right? And then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. And so there's probably a lesson. You know, Jesus said the judgment that you use, it's going to be measured back to you. It is. And if you find yourself judging people all the time, I tell you what, God's going to judge you. Be really careful. The measurement you use, Jesus said, that's the same kind of, same kind of standard that I'm going to you know, do to you. And you, know, you do these things to people, and it could be a lot of other things. Be ready, man. That happens with our kids, huh? <laughs> you know, We've got to be careful. Our kids are treating us a certain way, and then one day their kids do the same thing, and we wonder why. Because God's getting them, right? <laughs> No, there's probably a lesson there, but the main lesson is this. If this guy did this, think about this, to 70 other kings. 70 other kings he conquered, right? In other words, he was a pretty bad dude, right? Pretty big, powerful enemy. What ended up happening? God gave Judah the victory over these guys. 10,000 men died. The Lord gave them an amazing victory. Now, we're going to go through all the different tribes today, but I love Judah because Judah is kind of like what I want to be. Judah, Joseph, and Jesus. That's what I think. You know, Job also, right? These are guys, if you think about it, Judah, or here anyways, Job, Joseph. These are guys that had it together, right? Jesus. The Bible says that Job was upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. He was a good man, man. You know, no one's perfect. We know that for a fact. But there are some good men, by the grace of God, who have fallen in love with God. What we see here is Judah, man, he just starts getting victory after victory after victory in his life. And I tell you what, that's what I want. And I don't know where you're at in your life today, but I pray that's what you would want. Victory in your life, you know? Uh, Victory over those areas of your life. That, you know, that, that mess you up. That, you know, the Holy Spirit's telling you that doesn't belong. You know, you're, you're, you're more than that. You know, and I just know that when I read these victories right here, it's like, man, the Lord is saying, that's what I want to do in your life, Manny. I want to begin to give you victories over those things. You know, you've had these things. How old am I? I think I'm 44 years old. I've had all these things for 44 years. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, Right? But that's a lie. And that doesn't come from the Bible. It doesn't matter how old you are. God can change your life. I was talking to a guy today. It was kind of cool. And I, and I don't know if this happens when you get older or not. But he was telling me, you know what? I never used to be this way. But I, I, I cry. I cry. I cry now. And I'm like, hey, man, maybe that's the Holy Spirit touching your life. Making you more sensitive. Even though you've been this way all your life, God can change you. And all I know is that in my life, I want victories. And he gives him, first of all, this victory over Adonai Bezek, right? And so it says right there in verse 8, Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the 
city on fire. Now they got a degree of victory here. We're going to see later it wasn't a complete victory. They conquered Jerusalem, but they didn't inhabit Jerusalem because Jerusalem wouldn't be conquered until David and symbolic of Jesus, right? But they have a degree of victory here. Verse 9, And afterward the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains in the south and in the lowland. Then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the main name of Hebron was formerly Kirjath Abba, Arba, and they killed Shishai, Ahaman, and Talmai. They were giants. And so what was happening here in his life, and I pray in your life, and I pray in my life, there would be victory. You know, the season's not over. It may be over for your favorite baseball team, you Angel fans, you Dodger fans. My heart broke for my son. I was like, oh, Aaron, I feel so bad for you, man, because he is a true blue Angel fan. I'm trying to get him saved. Eventually, maybe he'll come to the, um, the light side. No. But you know, the, the season's over for them. You know, it's like not about victories or defeats anymore in one sense, you know, not for a while. But for you and me, it ain't over. It's still about victories and defeats. You know, and to where you can come to that point in your life where whatever area it is, whatever struggles it is, you know, it, it, you really get a good grip on this. You overcome this and you begin to change. And that's what they're having right here. Hebron was a mountain. If you remember back in the book of Joshua, Caleb asked for this mountain. It's a cool story. Caleb was so cool, man. 80 years old and homeboy wanted a mountain, right? And I don't know where you're at. I don't know how old you are, how long you've been a Christian. But let me tell you something. There's mountains for you to, for you to conquer. There really is. There are some great things that God wants to do in your life. And there are great things that God wants to do through your life. And there's no mountain too big, right? We know that verse 20, it also comments on this. It says in verse 20 of this chapter, And they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said, then he expelled from them the three sons of Anak. In life, it's kind of cool. Do the hard things first. You know? That's what he said. Hey, I'll take that mountain. Hey, but there's giants there. It's okay. If God is for me, then who can be against me, right? And so he's getting the victory here. As he gets the victory, it says in verse 11, From there they went against the inhabitants of Deber. The name of Deber was formerly Kirjath-Sephir. Then Caleb said, Whoever attacks Kirjath-Sephir and takes it to him, I will give my daughter Aksa as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it, so he gave him his daughter Aksa as wife. And so, victories for the tribe of Judah. Now, I've... We went through this in Joshua, so I don't want to spend too much time on this. But, you know, we've already talked about how Caleb is an amazing guy. I mean, this guy, uh, you know, it was, was, just, was a great military man, not afraid of anything. And so you wonder, well, why didn't he just get this, you know, place right here, you know, Kurjath Sefer? Why didn't he just do him for himself? Well, it's because he was looking for a husband for his daughter. And he said, well, what type of husband do I want for my daughter? Well, this is what I want. I want a guy just like me, man. I want a guy who believes in the Lord. I want a guy who loves the Lord. I want a guy who has faith in the Lord. That's who I want for my daughter. And it says, okay, whoever captures this city right here, to him, 
I'll give my daughter. And I thought that was so cool, you know. When I was reading that, I thought, wow, that's neat, Lord. And so this guy, Othniel, he's going to end up being the first judge. We're going to read out in chapter 3 when we get there. Othniel, um, he becomes the first judge. He does the work. God blesses him. And so he gets this place. He gets the daughter. I'm sure she was beautiful. In verse 14, it says, Now it happened when she came to him that she urged him, she urged her husband to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? You know, and I think it's cool, the wife asking the husband, kind of cool order right there, spiritual structure. Um, Obviously he said yes. And so when Caleb comes... You know, she dismounts, and that means something. He says, okay, what is it? What do you want, sweetheart? And so she said to him, give me a blessing. Since you have given me lands in the south, give me also blessings of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. I don't know if you guys see that there. I don't want to read too much into it. But um, I think it's like a little picture of us actually praying to God. And God blesses you and, you know, you're starting life or you're going through life and, 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 and you know, you, you, you begin to just cultivate that heart of prayer to God. Lord, can you give me the upper springs? You know, in the area that we're at right here, you, water is so needed. Lord, what do you think? And it's so cool, you know, Caleb here becomes a type of the Lord and, and he gives her, you know, what she needs. But maybe he wouldn't have given it to her if she wouldn't have asked him. Real neat picture of prayer, you guys. Really neat. And so we read in verse 16, of the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. Now, you know what? We don't know a whole lot about these people, the 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 children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law. We do know that later in their history, they're rewarded for their assisting the children of Israel. And so maybe there's a little a little element of that right here. We thought it was more during the wilderness. Again, not real clear. But it mentions these guys right here. And, and it's all about what happened to Judah. And so in verse 17, Judah went with his brother Simeon. They attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Sephath. And utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Horma. Also Judah took Gaza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. And so those three places right there are now venturing into the area of the Philistines. And so basically, you see Judah, man, they're going forward. They're growing. They've already got the land. They've inherited the land. They own the land. But now they're possessing the land so that they can enjoy the land. And that's how it's supposed to be for us as Christians. You know, I don't know about you. I told you guys this story many times. You know that when I was 12 years old, I was this tall. And then what happened? I don't know what happened. I just stopped growing. I just stopped growing. I didn't eat, you know, spinach or drink milk or whatever. But I don't know. You know, as Christians, be so careful that that doesn't happen to you. You know, we're supposed to be growing. In the Lord, deeper relationship with Him, changing, being more like Jesus Christ. The Bible says to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, if you're wondering, well, Manny, how do I grow? You know, how do I grow? I would say probably get to know the Lord more. 
Continue to be in the Word of God and ask God to reveal Himself to you. Because this is what I learned, that the more you know the Lord, the more you love the Lord. And the more you love the Lord, the more you'll obey the Lord. If you try to obey the Lord without knowing the Lord or loving the Lord, you're going to be a very frustrated person. But when you get to know how good and awesome and holy and gracious God is, man, it's so cool. You're just like, Lord, I want to make you happy. I want to please you. You're such an awesome God. You know, Judah was going forward. It says in verse 19, So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers. But, uh uh-oh, here's the first time. They could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. And so they're getting victory after victory after victory after victory. Things are so cool. But in the very end, they, they, they can't drive out this one area, the mountaineers. Sounds like a football team, huh? The mountaineers. Mountain View Mountaineers, right? No. I don't know. But here's the thing. Okay, we're going to come back to this. That's why Judah is probably a picture of a healthy Christian. Because do you know any Christian on this side of time who's perfect? No, huh? We don't. But we're still going to come back to this because it's going to be a factor as we go through. It says right here in verse 21, But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And so Judah has all these victories. You come to the very next tribe, Benjamin, they, they don't have any victory. As a matter of fact, they can't drive out, it says right here, the Jebusites. And you might be wondering, well, wait a minute, we talked about Jerusalem and Judah was dealing with Jerusalem. Why is Benjamin dealing with Jerusalem now? Well, it's because they're adjacent to each other. And Jerusalem was in both, it was right there on the border of both. And so they're coming from this side. Judah's coming from this side. They couldn't get the Jebusites out. Interesting. And so in verse 22, it says, And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. So the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, Please show us the entrance to the city, and we will show you mercy. And so he showed them the entrance to the city and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a city and called its name Luz, which is its name to this day. So this city was named Luz. It got changed. This guy went back. He built it again and he made it Luz again. Now, in looking at this right here, uh, you wonder, was this a, a good thing? Was this a victory? We're going to come back and we're going to see that it probably wasn't. We look at these different things and now we begin to see like maybe a little bit of uh, manipulation on the part of God's people. The children of Joseph, it says in verse 22, the house of Joseph. If you remember, Joseph was replaced by his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And so Joseph wasn't really a part of the tribes. Manasseh and Ephraim were. And so they, obviously this is something where they're, they're what? They're hooking up together. But then they begin to do things on their own. It says right here in verse 27, However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheen and his villages or to Anak and its villages or the inhabitants of Dor 
and its villages are the inhabitants of Dilibliam, and its villages are the inhabitants of Megiddo, and its villages. They didn't have very much success. Huh? They were like one of those teams. Um, it hasn't happened too often, but you know they went the whole season without winning. That's what happened to Manasseh, man. For the Canaanites, it says, were determined to dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong, when they became stronger as a nation, that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. And we're going to come back to all these things in just a second. In verse 29, it just goes on down the list. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among, among them. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalal, so the Canaanites dwelt among them and were put under tribute. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Ahlab or Axib, Helba, Afik, Rehob. So the Asherites dwell among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but they dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were put under tribute to them. And we're just going through this, you guys. What we're seeing is just, man, God's people losing. God's people. It can happen to God's people. You know, thank God you're covered in the blood. Thank God for that. Man, you gave your life to Jesus Christ and when you die, you're going to heaven. Praise God. But what about between then and now? What's going to happen? What's going to happen in our life? We don't know how many years we have left. I mean, God can take us home any day. That would be cool. I would love to go home. But if there's still work to do, I want to finish the work. What's going to happen between now and then? You know... God wants us not to be like this, man. God wants us to go into the land. He wants us to utterly drive them out, those that don't belong. He doesn't want us to be, you know, kicking it with them, with these sins. Oh, yeah, you know what, we'll live together. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to, you know, well, I'll put them under tribute, you know. No, this was not the will of God for the people of God. Even though they are the people of God, and they can live that way and they can die and go to heaven. This was not the will of God for the people of God. And so it's a lesson for us. You know, thank God for His grace. Thank God for the cross. But it's a challenge to us, you guys, to walk worthy of this great salvation. It's a challenge. We see that in Ephesians 4.1, Romans 12.1, same thing. You know, to therefore... You know, present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. You know, I pray that when we die, we go to heaven. I pray that while we live, we'd have a taste of heaven as we're living. Because there's a lot of things that God wants to do for His glory, and He wants to use our life for their good. All these guys were losing, 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 and it got really bad in verse 34. Look what it says. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Heres, in Ajalon and Shalbim. So it got so bad now that the tribe of Dan, 
they were like forced by the Amorites to stay up in the mountains, not even to come down and be able to enjoy life. That's how bad it went. It went from Judah, which was so good and victorious, and it just goes worse and worse and worse until the very end. You got this tribe of Dan, and man, there's just absolutely no victory. It does say there in verse 35, Yet when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put put under tribute. So Joseph came to help out Dan, the two from Manasseh together, to help him out. And so you might be thinking, cool. You know what? It's not that cool, you guys. It says in verse 36, Now the boundary of the Amorites was from the ascent of Akrabim, from Selah and upward. And so you look at this right here and you're wondering, Man, Lord, what is this all about, you know? What is all this information about? I mean, do you want me to learn like all these cities and towns and you know and, and all that kind of stuff? And you know, and I'm sure if you did, you'd get really blessed, you know. But what's all this information about, you guys? You know, we come on a Thursday night. What for? Judges chapter one, Lord. What for? Does God simply want to chronicle the history of Israel? Is it just information? No, I know that we know Scripture is not like that. The Bible says that all Scripture is profitable, right? That this word, that this chapter is profitable for us. And it's here that we move from information to interpretation and then to application. I want to give you guys six things, six areas of our life that I think we need to be so careful in. Things that for all of us, Christians and non, can cause us to sin. And the first thing is kind of weird. It's, it's, I'm going to give you words that start with M. And it's the word man. Believe it or not, man sometimes can cause us to sin. And what I mean by that is the help of man, the involvement of man. Sometimes that can be a big problem. Now we'll see that in our text today. The first one is a little shaky, but the second one is real solid. You know, there are some people who believe, go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Now, after the death of Joshua came to pass, the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. And so the Lord said, Judah, you go. The Lord told Judah, I will give you the victory. Right? He's promised to him. Why is it that Judah, in verse 3, said to Simon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites? I wonder about that. Now, again, maybe it was God's will. We know God eventually gave them the victory. But maybe it was just his grace. You know, for us, I think the way it works in life is we have to be very careful. Be careful when you find yourself thinking that God is not enough. That this man or that woman will be necessary as well in order for you, know, you to get well. You know, because if you do that for too long in weird ways, you begin to lean on the arm of the flesh and you're going to end up with what man can do and not with what God can do. And so be really careful with that. You know, again, I'm not really sure on that one. But in verse 19, look again at verse 19. It says, So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. 
this is probably more clear in this issue. Because even though the tribe of Judah had accomplished so much and gained more ground than the rest of the tribes, for some reason when they faced the mountaineers, they could not drive them out. Their victory was incomplete. Right? And I already shared with you, well, it's probably a picture of us as Christians, but don't be content in that. Okay, whatever you do. Uh, even though the tribe of Judah had done this, their victory was not complete. You know, and so someone might look at that and say, well, come on, Manny, you know what? They're only human. I mean, we're only human. You can't win them all, right? That's what they'll say. And yet the truth is, God's word tells me I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. You see, there's a difference when you begin to look at things God's way. In that victory, in that area, in that, you know, against the mountaineers, when there's chariots and it gets really difficult, we've got to understand that God can do this. The only time we'll ever fail in life is when we do it on our own strength. It's the only time, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll read this verse to you. You guys probably know it already by heart, huh? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says in verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond which you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so what that's saying right there in a nutshell is that no matter what the temptation is, no matter what the situation is, you know, maybe your kid gets you really angry. You know, and sometimes we get angry. I get angry sometimes. I feel it. I, I get angry. Okay, now what are you going to do? You know, God says by His Spirit, you don't, have to, you don't have to sin. The Bible says be angry and do not sin. There's no temptation we have in life that God says, I won't give you, I won't give you a way out. See, yeah, Judah had a lot of victories and then they couldn't defeat the mountaineers. They couldn't defeat these guys with iron chariots. But don't look at that and think, well then, you know what, you know, you know, it's going to happen. No, I encourage you to know that what ends up happening in that situation is that it's the human strength that we're tapping into. And I just want to encourage you to tap into not your own strength, because that's not enough, not your friend's strength, him or her. Oh, they're so amazing. You begin to lean on them. You know what? You're in for a big fall if you do. Draw from the Lord and walk in His strength. You know, sometimes Christians say, there's no way I can do good in this situation. And I'm here to tell you, man, that you can, that that's a lie. I hear someone say, but Manny, the particular war was against chariots of iron. Come on, give me a break. Isn't that God explaining why they couldn't win? Isn't that God telling us that's why they wouldn't win? But then I read my Bible, Isaiah 54, verse 17, where it says, No weapon formed against you will prosper. No weapon. It could be iron chariots. That's why we've got to stay focused on the Lord. 
Genesis 18:14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, With men it's impossible. With God, it's not impossible. With God, all things are possible. You know, later we're going to see in chapter 4, the Lord will defeat Jabin and his general, Sisera, who came against Israel with 900 chariots. So there's nothing too hard, right? So number one thing that I think helps us, you know, you know get in the wrong place is that we're, we're looking at things from a merely human perspective, whether it be leaning on that guy or that girl or leaning on yourself. Let's look to the Lord. The second word, it starts with an M. I hope you guys are okay with this. Uh, is the word minor or minoring. I don't know if that's a word, minoring. But, but notice what we read here in verse 21. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. You know, it's one thing to be una- unable to do it. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever tried, you know, in a certain sense. I know I've tried and failed. You know, it's one thing to be unable, could not. It's another thing to be unwilling, did not. And that's what we begin to read now. You know, earlier we read about, look again, verse 19. But they could not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 21, but the children of Benjamin did not drive out the inhabitants. You know, that's what happens when one considers anything less than the perfect will of God to be an insignificant matter. When one is completely satisfied in being incomplete. And they settle for a little sin here and a little sin there. You know, could not means I tried and I lose. You know, and that's respectable. I tried and I lose. Did not says I did not try. And I choose to lose. I I refuse. And I tell you what. Don't don't get caught up in that. You know, don't think, well, it's just, you know, one sin and one little sin. You know, the Bible says it's the little foxes that ruin the vine. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's one thing when you're not able, but it's another thing when you're not willing. Be so careful, you guys. Be so careful. You know, the kind of dirt that we say don't hurt... <laughs> It definitely does, man. We see the first problem that we can get into is man. The second is minoring on sin. The third is mirroring sin, mirroring sin. And what that means is you just do what everybody else does. You know, we read right here that Benjamin did not drive them out. Look at verse 27. However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. Look at verse 29. It says, nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites. Look at verse 30, it says, Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants. Verse 31, Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants. Verse 33, Nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants. I don't know for sure, but I think that, you know what, they, they, they had this great vision for Israel. Judah did pretty good, but I have a feeling that, you know what, since they weren't doing it, Okay, they're not doing it. They're not doing it. They're not doing it. It was kind of like became, you know, just the lower standards were now acceptable. And so they were just doing what everyone else was doing. Now, I wonder what would have happened. Let's just say there was a better example. 
Let's just say one of these guys, you could pick any one of them, Ephraim or Zebulun. They said, you know what? I'm not going to settle for that, man. I'm going to go. And they led by example. I wonder maybe if that would have made a difference. But when everybody becomes a follower of the failure, why? Because they think God's grading on a curve. Then we're going to be in big trouble, man. Remember, God doesn't grade on a curve. Don't do things you know are wrong just because they do. Don't mirror all the messed ups of your fellow man. You know, don't be weak. I, I know Pastor Ray, he was here last week. You guys got blessed by that. But you could use that verse in Exodus 23, verse 2. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. And he's your friend and you're going to hang with him. So what if he's doing bad? You know, we're going to stick together. Cool, be his friend. But it doesn't mean you have to do the same things they're doing. And you encourage him, how? With a better example. These things can get us in trouble, leaning on man, leaning on our own strength. You know, thinking sin is small and insignificant. And even though you're not complete, you're okay with that. Because it's not a big deal. You know, we're just doing what everyone else is doing. They're all not driving them out, so I won't drive them out. No way. We see God wants more for that. You know, another problem I think that they may have had was money. Money. You know, notice the word we see tribute in verse 28. It says, And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they did not, that they put the Canaanites under tribute. We see the same thing in verse 30 and in verse 33 and in verse 35. Manasseh, Zebulun, Naphtali, and the house of Joseph, forced labor and forced payment. What tribute is, you're wondering, what is that? It's a compulsory fee or financial contribution levied on an inferior by a superior ruler or nation. And so, you know, when they got stronger, they said, okay, give me some money. You know, you got some nice gold there. You got some nice silver there. I like your grain. It's real healthy. I tell you what, man, just pay me some money. And what ends up happening? Another one of the traps of the enemy, man. God didn't call them to get rich physically. God wanted them to be rich spiritually. God never called them to collect tribute from these people. Never. In Canaan, if you read Numbers 33, 51 through 55, God says, drive them out. God made it really clear. But, you know, they didn't. We read a couple of times in Judges chapter 1 that Israel grew strong. Okay, think about that for a second. Israel grew strong. Okay? So one would assume that this means stronger than these guys. So wouldn't that mean doing what God told them to do and driving them out? I mean, if they grew strong, that's what that means. Of course, but rather what they did was they charged them money (laughs) and what ended up happening they got caught in this pitfall that can really hurt and harm so many people. You know, and all these things, you guys, can be snares to us. Man leaning on his strength, her words, your power, minoring when complete obedience is not really the goal. We make sin minor issues. Mirroring, what's the big deal? Everyone else is doing it. They're God's children. Bad examples, bad logic. And then there's money. And money can be a big hindrance. That's why the Lord said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard. Not only is it hard for a rich man to get saved, but it's hard for a rich man to be sanctified. Now, of course, God can do that. We have examples of people that have a lot of money, but man, it takes a lot of focus on the Lord, right? 
What ends up happening? Money gets in the way. He's people working on Sundays when they don't have to. It keeps people from giving to God what belongs to God, true tithes and offerings, but they sure have a lot of other things. You know, they say, well, I can't quit this job because it's, you know, even though I know it's totally immoral, I need the money. They say, you know what, I know we're not married and we're living together, but we wouldn't be able to make it if we weren't living together. And they make decisions based on what? On finances and not on what's right. A lot of problems, a lot of pitfalls. Our last presidential election was one in which the American people voted on the economy and they vetoed morality. They were more interested in gold than God. You guys, don't worry about money. Don't worry about the big house. Don't worry about the new cars. It doesn't even matter. You know, you can have old clothes, stuff like that. Worry, your shoes, just keep them clean. That's all you got to do, man. Wash them every once in a while. Don't worry about that stuff. The Bible says what? I'd rather live in a tent. I'd rather have a tent where there's righteousness than this beautiful house of wickedness. So don't let anything get in the way. These are things that can get in the way. Manning, minoring, mirroring, money. And the last thing is this, mercy. Believe it or not, this mercy right here. And you're like, wait a minute, Manny, time out. Isn't mercy always good? Not always. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 2. It says, And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. And so what do we read? Look in verse 24 right here. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, Please show us the entrance into the city, and we will show you mercy. Dude. Dude, you're going directly against God's word. Yeah, but they're going to show us the way into the city. You know, something like this happened before. You know, remember Rahab and that whole thing? Yeah, that was God's explicit word. You're looking for loopholes. See, for us, of course we show mercy to people. I mean, make sure you're merciful to everybody, man. But in one sense, watch out when you're too merciful with yourself. That's kind of how it works. Of course, you don't want to condemn yourself. Of course, you don't want to beat yourself up. Receive God's forgiveness. But Jesus said this, when you're, if your right eye causes you to sin, what do you do? Pluck it out, man. Deal severely with the sin in your life. Don't pet it. Don't cater to it. Don't be content with it. Strip it. Surgically remove it. Get crazy when it comes to the sin in your life. Because that's kind of what this is symbolic of. They were showing mercy to the people that didn't belong. And this is all symbolic of what? Of the things that God wants us to drive out in our life. I lied to you guys. I shouldn't do that from up here, huh? There's one more word, man. It's the word master. This is crazy. Because in verse 34 and 35, that's what ended up happening. Sin became the master over the tribe of Dan. I was telling Aaron, isn't that Apollo Creed, master of disaster? Yeah, that's what it is. That's what happened when sin overcomes our life. And this is the case for this tribe of Dan. And there you are. I don't know if you've ever been there. I know I've been there before. Where you're doing what you don't want to do. You're not doing what you want to do so bad. You know, there you are. You want to read with your wife tonight, you know? But just somehow you're just so caught up in whatever it is you're watching on TV, you just kind of like can't get out of it. 
you know, you're so caught up in these things, you're mastered by sin. You know, you tell yourself not to get angry, but every day it kind of forces itself upon you. It overpowers you. I mean, you want to come clean. You want to serve the Lord. You want life to be all that God wants it to be. But, you know, that addiction or whatever it is doesn't allow you. It just rules over your life. And sin has had dominion over you. That's what happened to Dan. And that can happen to us in certain degrees. Jesus said in John 8.34, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So if you keep doing it over and over and over again, guess what? You're a slave to sin. It's, it's overpowering you, right? This is the person who keeps doing the same thing over and over again. And it's so sad when that happens to God's people. Don't let it happen to you. Jesus said in John 8.35, A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Don't be a slave of sin because a slave doesn't abide in the house forever. How many of you want to abide in the house forever? I know I do. I mean, we want to have that house called heaven when we die. You know, as human beings created in God's image, loved by God, redeemed by God, we don't want to be separated from God. And so what can we do? Well, Jesus said in John 8, 31, 32, and then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, and you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You see, it's real simple, you guys. Let Jesus, the Savior, be your master and not sin. It's very simple. The other day I was praying and I was asking the Lord, you know, it's funny, I've been walking with the Lord for so long. For many of you here, you've been walking with the Lord for so long. Sometimes you've got to go back to the basics. I was asking the Lord, Lord, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Or what does it mean to, you know, to how? How do I do this, Lord? And and he said, it's real simple, Manny. You know, you rest in me and what I've done and you walk by faith and not by sight. Walk by faith and not by sight. And what that means is two things primarily. Number one, this body that we live in, it's all jacked up. It's all jacked up. And it tells you constantly to do the wrong thing. It makes you feel, you feel depressed when you shouldn't be depressed. Why are you depressed? You're the sons of God. You're forgiven. You're free. It tells you to be depressed when you shouldn't be depressed. It tells you to be mad and angry with your kids and you're all looking at their flaws when they've got so much good in them. They're your kids. I mean, we feel a certain way. It tells us, you know, single men, married men, you know, check out chicks, be with chicks. I mean, this body tells us everything to do wrong. But don't go by feelings. You go by faith, right? So number one, don't receive the counsel of your body. (laughs) And number two, very simple, don't receive the counsel of the world. The whole world will try to tell you what to do. And the whole world will try to put you in their little mold. No, you guys, we've got the word of God, right? The word of God, read it, heed it, learn it, live it, love it. Just do what God says in his word, very simple. You walk by faith and not by sight. And, and you'll learn and we'll learn. We won't repeat the things that we saw these guys do. We're going to see them do crazy things because it can happen to any of us. And we'll learn from their mistakes as we study the book of Judges. And so, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for allowing us to study it together, Lord. 
I pray, Father, that you would help us. Lord, I I know you love us because you died for us. I know you love us because you you warn us and you write things down to show us, Miho, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do what they're doing. Miha, don't. You, you come and you learn from their mistakes. Lord, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would take your living word, your working word, and work within the hearts of everyone here. If there's any, Father, especially if there's any today that are hurting, struggling, down, depressed, Lord, if there's any here today, Lord, because I know there are some aching hearts, Breaking hearts, Father God, I pray today they would know that this God that we're talking about, this God that we're worshiping, that we're learning about, who's warning us, loves us. He loves us so much. And your word says that you can work all things together for good. And I just thank you for that, Lord. Bless your beautiful people. If there are any here, Lord, who don't know you tonight, Father, I pray that you would get them. Lord, that you would just bring them back. Lord, that you would show them the cross and how Jesus loves them, died for them. And tonight, Father, if they would turn from their sins and give their life to Jesus, then you'll put everything back to where it needs to be. We thank you for that promise, Lord. We love you so much. Be with us now as we sing, as we go home tonight, Lord. Thank you for being such a wonderful God. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand and we'll close with a song. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.